The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. In today's episode, we will be looking at obtaining a protection order. And our distinguished guest today is Ms. Kadeen Harvey, attorney at law. For those of you who have been with us for some time, you would know that Ms. Harvey was a guest on the podcast before in season one when she appeared to speak to us about the children court. She is an attorney at law. She is also the head of Barbican Chambers. So we're going to get right into it. And good day to you, Kadeen, and welcome to Legal Corner Podcast Series. Hey, Colin. Afternoon. How are you? Afternoon, afternoon. I'm good. You all right? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to be back Lovely. on the show too, man. <laughs> Exciting topic this afternoon. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, can you tell us what is a protection order and how can someone apply for one? Right. Well, pro- a protection order is an order, you know, you get from the court in cases of like domestic situations. You know, we have different types of domestic situations going awry in this country. And, you know, persons could go to the court to, to seek uh, assistance to get the court to, to make particular orders to prevent these types of situations getting out of hand. Or, or in, in certain circumstances, have that applicant or that person be removed or, you know, things like that. But we'll get further into the different types of orders. Persons could actually go to the court and speak with uh, Justice of the Peace. Or even um, go to the that's magistrate's court level, or even go to the high court, the family court, and the persons there will assist them in filling out the relevant form um, to have their matter heard before the court, right? So yeah, so once if that once that person has been affected in some form or fashion, uh, domestic violence wise within their domestic situation, they can seek out assistance from the court. They can also go to an attorney to assist them to file relevant documents in court. I forgot that one. Right. What legislation governs this area of law? Right. So um, protection orders are mainly governed by the Domestic Violence Act. Um, that's Chapter 4556. That act has been amended by Act Number 18 of 2020. You know, that act, the amendment to the act actually delve a bit further into who can bring an application before the court. You know, before it would have been persons who um, were living in a household together. They have explored that now. And if, like, you're in a visiting relationship, those persons can now bring um, bring an application for, for protection, uh, for a protection order. Uh, I think they also included, like, cohabitants as well. So you're not married, but you're living together in a communal relationship. The amendment to the act included those persons as well. Who can bring applications for protection? So you look at the Domestic Violence Act and the amendments to it. We'll normally talk about a, a restraining order and a, a protection order. Can you comment uh, to us about that? Because I know it's something from the US where we talk about this restraining order. Um, what is the relationship right. between a, a restraining order and a protection order? Right. So in our context, it's two different documents, two different situations. With right, so for instance, the protection order really 
comes out from domestic situation. So you and that person or the person must be living within your household. So a husband and wife, um, a mother and daughter, father and, and son, you know, aunts and nephews, if it's extended family living, you must be living within that same household in order to apply for a, a protection order from someone, right? With regards to a restraining order, it could be total strangers, friends, they're not living within the same domestic situation. And for some reason or the other, you need to have them restrained from doing you any harm. But the terms of the orders would more or less be the same. So the restraining order and protection are the same thing, but different, um, different type of relationship in terms of persons bringing it. So it's not a familial relationship. It's more like friends, you know, or not strangers, I should say, you know, um, could seek to bring that type of application to get a restraining order. It's also not heard by the family courts, right? The family courts will do the protection order. The a restraining order, um, those are dealt mainly at the magistrate's court, but not by the... I don't know how to explain to the lay person, but in terms of the restraining order, it's not dealt with the in the same court as a protection order at the magistrate's court level. What sort of action constitutes domestic violence? So the Domestic Violence Act actually looks at domestic violence in different forms. So most people would think it's just physical abuse, right? But in in the act, it also considers psychological and emotional abuse. It also looks at sexual abuse. And it also considers financial abuse. So those are the four areas that domestic violence are covers that will constitute um, domestic violence before our courts. So it doesn't have, have to be a situation where someone is being beaten in a relationship or you know, physically abused in a relationship or sexually abused in a relationship. You can bring a, seek to get a protection order if you're being financially abused, emotionally or psychologically abused. Yeah, those are the other two, yes. And children apply for protection orders? So in terms of a child, um, and, and when you say child, I mean a minor. A minor. Yes, right. So protection orders have to be brought by adults, right? Um, so if a mother applies for a protection order, it will cover the child as well once it is indicated to the court that the child is also being affected by the, the, the behavior of the respondents. Right? So you can ask for that protection order to cover the child as well. What type of orders can the court make on an application for a protection order? Well, there are several types of orders that the court can make regards to protection orders. You know, those, it may have those prohibitory orders where they don't want the person or the respondent in some instance, in, in the instance, to not go in the same space as the applicant or to stay to 300 feet away from the applicant if they have to be in the same space. Um, it can also prohibit or direct the respondent from using threatening language, from responding to like pay compensation to the applicant. Um, if the respondent has a firearm, they could direct the respondent to um, give up their firearm at the nearest police station. So the, the court has a very wide um, jurisdiction. I see type of terms that could be input, can be put into an order for a protection order. It all depends on the circumstances and the facts brought to, to them in court. At this point, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. 
Okay, so welcome back and thank you for staying with us. Academy for the break, you were just talking to us about the different uh, types of protection orders that are available. I want you to tell us now what is the duration of a protection order? So the Domestic Violence Act actually provides, I believe, a section or section six, um, subsection three, subsection nine actually says that protection orders must not exceed the duration of period of three years. So, by that fact, protection orders could only be implemented for a period of three years. So, you may have cases where magistrates, masters, judges may only implement a, a protection order for a period of one year, depending on, again, everything is dependent on the facts that is before the court. What is the purpose of an interim protection order? Right, so actually that's something, that area of interim protection orders was actually clarified in the amendments to the Domestic Violence Act. And with the interim order, if the court decides that, or based on hearing what the applicant has to say and is, what he would are looking for, um, is satisfied that... There is significant threat to the life of the applicant. The magistrate, master, judge can put in place an interim protection order. And usually those orders go into place where the respondent either was not served or did not have overserved and did not appear in court. And they want to give the respondent an opportunity to appear in court to hear their side of the story. Right, but because whatever facts or circumstances have been placed before the court, they, they, the magistrate is satisfied that that is enough for me to put in place some sort of order now, immediately, they can do so. Right, until the respondent appears in court to give their side of the story, of course. What are the consequences for breaching a protection order? Right, so like in our jurisdiction, the consequences is the same for everything. Fine or imprisonment, right? Um, if, I, if I could, the Act also provides for that. Um, I believe that's Section 20 of the Domestic Violence Act. And before the court even decides to make an order, if it's giving someone a fine or imprisonment for breaching a, a protection order, they must satisfy uh, a test, right? Whether the person had notice of that order so a, a protection order was granted against a respondent. That respondent must have noticed that that order existed against him or her. Doesn't matter, right? And that person has failed to comply with the order or contravene some term within that protection order, right? Once those two things are satisfied by the court, then the court um, can state whether or not that person has committed an offense with regards to the protection order. Right? Um, based on the act, it says that with a first conviction, the courts can order a fine not exceeding $9,000 or imprisonment for a period not exceeding three months. On a second conviction, which I'm only going to assume if there's a second offense or second breach of the protection order that's in place, you know, that fine now increases to one that's not exceeding $15,000. Uh, or imprisonment not exceeding 24 months. And on a third conviction, of a third breach of a protection order, of course, um, it's solely imprisonment, but that imprisonment, uh, that imprisonment must not exceed five years. 
Yeah. The court could also impose a fine and imprisonment in circumstances, but I guess that has to be very severe circumstances for the court to impose both a fine and imprisonment against a respondent who breaches a protection order. So if someone is out there listening and they will have gotten a protection order, what will be the next step that they will have to take? So if someone out there... They, let's firstly, if that person wasn't aware that an application was made for protection order against them and they have now received a copy of it and it says interim protection order, find out what is your next date of hearing and appear before the relevant court. So the court can hear your side of the story based on what allegations were made against you. Right? If, however, an order was made, and I regret to say, finalize in absentia without you being present in court. There are ways and means that you can go before the court to bring the matter up and have, have your side of the story be heard. Right? Go speak to an attorney and the attorney will be able to assist in that regard. Right? Um, if, however, you, you as a layperson choose not to go before the court and you accept that a protection order has been finalized against you, don't breach the terms of the order. Because, uh, of course, the consequences would be a fine, and the fine is not small fines, or imprisonment, or both, depending on what um, the, the severity of the acts of domestic violence really is. And if the court is satisfied, that uh, those acts are severe enough to bring harm to the applicant, then uh, you don't know what would happen. You could either be in prison or you could either lose some money compensating the applicant if you breach any of those terms of the protection order. But I would always advise persons, if you are in receipt of protection order, seek advice of, a, of an attorney and hear what your options are. And for the person who has obtained the order, so the person who is being protected by the order, is there a requirement where they need to lodge that order at a police station? Mm -hmm. Right. So I just wanted to highlight that because persons out there may not necessarily know what next to do after they, they have been granted the order. Right. So, so I, I just okay. wanted so to have that term. Um, Right, sure. So once you're granted a, a protection order by the court, so you are the applicant, you got through um, with your protection order against um, the respondent, your next, what the court will produce, will provide you with a copy of the order, first to begin with. With virtuals, so everything is going via email, right? So once you provide the court with a copy, with a, an email address, you will get that protection order via email, right? Otherwise, if you don't have access to a device or instance or whatnot, you can go to the court to get a copy of your order. Right? The court is obligated to actually provide a, a copy of the order to the police, the nearest police station um, within where you live. And thirdly, a copy goes is to be served on the respondent. The police usually is mandated to serve the respondent with a copy of the protection order so that the respondent, of course, has noticed that this protection order has been taken out against him or her. And basically, not to breach it. Because if you breach it, you can't be brought before the courts. So as we got ready to wrap up, a domestic violence application and the resultant protection order is only necessary in cases where there have been domestic violence. So I just would like you to say a few words, uh, basically, 
encouraging persons to stay away from those type of relationships and those type of behaviors. Oh gosh, um, it's kind of funny to say stay away, you know, because we never know what will happen in our in our domestic situation. But I know people out there think that a protection order is just a piece of paper, but it's actually one step in saving your life. And persons who protection orders are made against, I urge those persons to follow the terms of that order to Because of course, if it is you are from breaching those terms of the order, while it may not be caught initially, you will be caught and you will be brought before the court and you will have to stand the consequences of whatever the court decides when you breach that protection order. So my advice, don't breach a protection order. Follow it to a T and everything will be good. A protection order only lasts for a period of time. Not saying that you go back and you commit the same behavior after protection order. But if it is you do need help, the court does have resources to assist in persons, you know, if behavioral issues and whatnot. So you can always ask the court to seek out help through the court. And there are social services where you can go to get assistance. And that's all I would have to say if we can for that. <laughs> well, Karin, this has been a good conversation. Thank you very much. Same to you, Colin. Yes, it was great. And thanks for having me again. Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to thelegalcornerpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.